Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify Him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles. Yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Everybody, this is Guys with Bibles, studying scripture, discussing doctrine, and glorifying God. I'm Sean. I'm Lee. I'm Scott. And today we're going to be starting a study on the book of Ezra. Ezra. Easy RA. In the hizzy. In the hizzy. But, all right. All right. For real. For reals. So, so. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you guys go. Don't you don't you tell me what to do? <laughs> it's interesting that we that we're talking about this because this is another book that we don't really talk about in church all that often, and uh, it's an important book, but it's not necessarily the kind of book that you would normally do a devotional study on or anything right. like that. But there's there's a lot a lot of good stuff here to talk about. A lot a lot of people they just kind of misread Ezra, right? So they they just read it as. Um, They'll hit the book and then move on to the next, right? But what people don't understand is Ezra and Nehemiah are are actually going hand in hand during like Second Chronicles, right? Whoa, whoa, what are we doing in Jeremiah's day? Okay, so mm-hmm. Jeremiah prophesied about this and uh and cried a little bit, right? And cried a little bit. He was known as the crying prophet. Um, so. Ezra and Nehemiah kind of they go hand in hand. You can't really have Ezra without Nehemiah, so you got to read these books as a unit. Um, in fact, at one point, weren't they really considered one book? One book, or they they hyphenated them together or whatever? I can't remember exactly, but I think they actually split them up. I'm, I'm, I wonder. I should look what they do in the Jewish tradition with it if they're still considered separate books or if they. I'd if have they're both to, I'd together. Have to do some research. I've on never that. looked at that, um, but I know I've seen it hyphenated Ezra dash Nehemiah. Have you? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I think but I mean, they are. They're very complementary. Yeah, they really, they really go hand in hand. Well, and really, you couldn't have Ezra without, without First and Second Chronicles too. Exactly, because it's happening during that time. There's like that. There's a little bit of crossover there at the end From of Second the Babylonian Chronicles. exile, and then bam, then we're you yeah. Know. So we got a whole bunch of stuff. Um. So. For basically Ezra, I got for a title introduction, even through Ezra's name does not enter the account of Judah's post-exilic return to Jerusalem until Ezra 7.1. The book bears his name, Jehovah Helps, as a title. This is because both Jewish and Christian traditions attribute authorship to the fa- this famous scribe, priest, New Testament writers do not quote the book of Ezra. Um, 
So if you're looking for New Testament quotes, they do not quote Ezra. Um, the author and date, uh, Ezra is most likely the author, both Ezra and Nehemiah, which might have originally been one book, as we have went through, um, are written in Aramaic. I don't know if you guys know. Oh, yeah. Did you guys notice? Yeah. So they were written in Aramaic. Although Ezra never states his authorship, eternal arguments favor him strongly after his arrival in Jerusalem around 458 B.C. Um, he changed from writing in third person to writing in first person um, in the earlier section. Is likely yeah, he that comes in he in had, chapter 7. Yep, right in chapter 7. Um, Which makes sense because if you're given historical background to your entrance into the story, right. you're not going to write yourself into exactly. that. Exactly, you're not going to write yourself into the narrative. So he, he's just a responsible historian, yeah. really, at that point. Um, this actually, go, it would have been natural for um, the Book of Chronicles, um, possibly believed, possibly the author of the books of the Chronicles could be quoting from Ezra. So, what do you guys have? I broke it up into three main themes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, themes. Uh, the first is rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem is God's objective, especially in the history of redemption, the story of redemption. Uh, of course, this was immediately after the return from the exile in Babylon. The second theme I had was uh, the, the people of God as a whole and not just the the big cheeses, the great leaders, the political and religious leaders, but the, the, the common people are vital for accomplishing the purpose of rebuilding the temple. Right. And the third one I had was the written word is a powerful tool used to complete God's objectives. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, oh, so yeah. What, what was Ezra's main objective in Ezra? Well, really, to to restore faithful worship um, in the in the temple, number one, but also to restore the actual devotional life of the people themselves. Uh, there's yeah, no sense and get them back to observing the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to 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 doing right. what God had commanded them to do. Because it was right. more than just offering the sacrifices, just because that's what something to do, but. To actually get rekindle their hearts with a, a passion for Yahweh right, and exactly. for His worship. Yeah, and I, I think that really Ezra's role really comes clear in chapter seven ten, um, where it says, "For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach His statutes and rules in Israel." Bam. He was a strong and godly man who lived in the time of Nehemiah. So I think this is very important that we understand that Ezra is really re re in he's not reinventing the wheel not reinventing but i want to say um, reinvigorating reiterating reinvigorating yeah. ah. law or revigorating yes revigorating um god's law to the people in order to get them That's to not the word. that might not be the word either <laughs> but i i would say reiterating reiterating the purpose oh, okay. of god's yeah, law yeah okay. reiterating I knew it was something. Yeah. Reiterating, reiterating God's purpose of the law for His people. Um, so, bam, bam. Well, I let's let's dive let's into just it. Go ahead and dive in, um, and then we'll just roll roll with it. May I read the first four verses, maybe? 
We'll start there. You may not. Oh. Yeah, you can go ahead. Okay. <laughs> In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place, with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. I think this is a, a, a fascinating edict that that Cyrus puts out. Right. And not just not just the way that people have been conflating uh, Donald Trump with Cyrus these days, too. Although I think that's an interesting phenomenon in and of itself. Uh, the state of Israel even minted a coin that had uh, a depiction of Cyrus and the face of Donald Trump on it as well, which is kind of interesting. Oh, my. So it's interesting. The, I guess you could ask the question, would, was Cyrus really a believer? Did he believe God? See, that, that was my big question. Like, was Cyrus a true believer? Um and I, I kind of had to go with, yeah, I think he was. I mean, he knew really? that, that God was the ultimate power. Israel's God, Israel, the God of Israel was the God of true power. Like, he was the one and only God. Um, but I don't know. That's another thing. I don't know. Ooh, interesting. Because I, I disagree. You both said no, didn't you? I said no. I don't, I don't think he's a true believer. I don't either. Uh, well, yeah. I, the way I would characterize it is, I, I think he probably believed that Yahweh was a legitimate God, but I don't I don't see him as a monotheist in any in any way or that's, or, that's, that's how I gathered it. Yeah. Through, so. And I, I kind of built that on where he says, um, in verse three, um will uh, rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Right. And in that culture you had uh deities not only for like the elements like a rain god or a, a, a crops god, but you also had gods of specific geographic locations as well. I'm going to try to prove my point. Okay. <laughs> right. Some so, good solid debate. See, so see, this is an this, interesting this book. This is an interesting. So in Isaiah 44, um, as verses 28, Isaiah prophesied of Cyrus. Right. Uh huh. I don't know if you guys have yes, this quote. I did. So Isaiah forty-four. So I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary, and I will consign Jacob and ban Israel to. That's the wrong. I'm in verse thirty-three. Oh my gosh! 43. Here we go again. I am struggling here. So verses twenty-eight of chapter forty-four. It says, "It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd." And he will perform all my desires. So he is the shepherd that will perform all of God's desires. I'm thinking he was a believer. I'm sorry. But <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, it just depends on how you look at that. I mean, he, Pharaoh 
Right. And did he, all of God's desires as well, but he wasn't a believer. Well, he really wasn't a desirer. He wanted to do everything God didn't want to do. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I guess it's how you look at it. Um, but he wanted to rebuild the temple, so it was his objective to. No, I think I still think you're incorrect because if you go into 45, don't you tell me what I am. So I'll start <laughs> 45 verse one, and then I'm going to go through verse six. That's so the Lord to Cyrus, he his anointed, his anointed. So Look at that, his anointed. Bam. You know what anointed means? In, but I'm going to say in the Hebrew context. But hold on, I'm going to say, and I think this is going to refer to what we talked about in the last. Uh, Ordo Salutis episode, the calling episode where we talked about there are specific individuals that are called out for a purpose like like uh, Pharaoh or um, the, uh, the king of Assyria as well. I think Cyrus is one of these individuals as well. So to thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name, which sounds very salvific. But uh, we go on in verse 4 here. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me, I'm the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. So I think that he doesn't know him as the only God. So he might give him some right. some praise uh, as a legitimate deity, but he's a polytheist at heart. I think you're right. So Yes! So I was sitting here reading my notes, uh, and uh, so I went to MacArthur's study Bible, and I was like, oh, let's see what MacArthur says. And you're right. So he says, uh, where it says his anointed in Isaiah 45, 1, it says this word is the one translated from Hebrew by the translation, um, it's Messiah, right? It is a word used for messianic redeemer king. Um, in Psalms 2, 2, and Daniel 9, 25, and 26. Um, but here it refers to Cyrus as king set apart by God's providence and divine purposes, though not a worshiper of the Lord. Daggone it. And uh, the well. Persian monarch played an unusual role as Israel's shepherd and God's anointed judge on the nations. So he was basically just an instrument being used by God um, to shepherd his people back to him, right? So I think it's great to have this note about this because in a book that's completely centered on restoring correct worship of God as God decrees and restoring the faith of people in their heart uh, toward God, that we should start out with uh, a friendly proclamation from a king who, while he doesn't worship God perfectly— he doesn't worship God in the way that God requires, the way that honors God the most. Right. We have a wicked king who still is led to act in the benefit of God's children. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like very, Donald Trump. Very interesting. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so on. And, <laughs> Make Persia great again. <laughs> <laughs> so, forty-four twenty-eight. 
also, just to go with it, um, it says the prophecy given in a century and a half before Cyrus lived and became king of Persia predicted God's use of the Persian king to gather uh, the faithful remnant of Israel back to the land. In this soul, Cyrus uh, prefigured the Lord's servant who will shepherd the sheep of Israel in their final gathering, um, also found in Micah 5.4, which I preached over once. Um, the title shepherd applied to kings as leaders God's people. Um, Paul compared—we're going to jump through that. Um, the temple—whatever, I don't need all that. Cyrus decreed the rebuilding of the temple, thus fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. This was just to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy here. And that makes yeah. sense. So I was wrong. I was wrong. Dag on it. <laughs> Anyways, I'll I'll admit when I'm wrong. Do uh, so. Let's move forward. Then yeah, we'll move forward. Starting in verse five. Um, then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Midradath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. And this What'd was the number me? of them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sheshbazzar. Uh, and this was the number of them: thirty basins of gold, one thousand basins of silver, twenty-nine censers, thirty bowls of gold, four hundred and ten bowls of silver, and a thousand other vessels. All the vessels of gold and silver were five thousand four hundred. All these did Sheshbazzar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. I have no idea what you just said now. I'm just <laughs> kidding. But uh, so in chapter 1, it's basically going through um, the res- restoration of the holy vessels mm-hmm. in for Israel, right? right? So it's the priest. Because um, that was a big note when Nebuchadnezzar was, was driving the people into Babylonia. Right. They uh, there there's a special uh, note made in the scripture that he took all those vessels out of the temple and put them in the temples of his gods. Right, and that was so wicked of him to do. And so you know the fact I, I like the fact that this that this book Ezra is kind of closing the loop on that. Nebuchadnezzar stole all the stuff, and yet here's Cyrus and he's bringing it back. He's giving it back, and it's going in, into the temple again. Right. And I, I think chapter 1, we can read the last um, part of Chronicle, Second Chronicles, um, because it really leads into Ezra. Um, so in Second Chronicles 36, 22, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirits of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it within writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with them, and let him go up. 
So I think that really just drives into um, Ezra and what Ezra is trying to say here in chapter 1. It's the restoration of God's vessels of his chosen people, right? So they went through the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, right? And now, now they're being released, right, so that they can worship in God's temple, right? And Cyrus is, was prophesied before he was ever born um, that he would actually start the building of the temple, right? So uh, that's where I'm at. Um, now the, the 50, the 5400s, this is, this is all coming from um, people outside of Israel, right? Yes. This is, this right. is not coming from Israel itself. So this is kind of like an eclipse to the Exodus where the Egyptians had to give over gold to Israel and land to Israel. Um, they gave to Israel, and this all came from outside of Israel, right? Mm. So they they actually donated. yeah they took they took the stuff right they took the stuff they brought in and they had them. the riches. So God actually restored Israel mm-hmm. to its former glory, right? I mean, He is doing the restoration mm-hmm. process. Um, well, and you know, and it's it's important too that you know all of these vessels and furniture for the temple these are all numbered out because these are described in um, in the Torah. Um, these are important items for worship in the temple. Right. And if you don't have the vessels, you don't have the worship. Right. And so the fact that they have meticulously counted, kept a record of these are the items that we took, that, that, that the Persians took, those same items then left to go with the people back to the temple. So, right. so this is what we'll Because nothing, had, nothing yeah. could be lost. Exactly. I wanted maybe I can offer a takeaway thought. You you do a takeaway. So, one thing I see from this chapter is that God God is so graceful to His children that even when they've been carried off to a foreign land by an enemy, uh, by an enemy to their people, and made to live in exile, have the the precious items from their center of worship stolen and given to another god. God is so gracious to them that he not only set them free from that exile, uh, brought them back to the land, to the city where he ordained that he was to be worshipped, but he even, God even used the wicked ruler of the country that took them into exile to send them back and bless them. He gave him a special commission as prophesied to ensure that that they made it back safely that they could rebuild their city, rebuild the temple, take care of that, uh, and be safe and and blessed about it. I think I think it's so such a great testament of God's grace. Right. Yeah, and that's you can really tie in covenant theology into this because he's fulfilling mm-hmm. his covenant promises. Yeah, he's fulfilling his covenant promises with Israel, his mm-hmm. covenant people. So he's never going to if God oh. promises. It's going to happen, so right because these are these are people that are still covered under that that blessing to Abraham, you know, right? That, that absolutely that he would, um, his he would be blessed that he would have land, seed, and blessing, land, seed, and blessing. <laughs> and once again, they were taken away from that land that was promised, and they're returning to it. Sounds like uh, 
we really drive that in here at Logansville, land, seed, and blessing. But it, it sounds a lot like uh, at the prison we go by firm, fair, and consistent. You know? so, <laughs> so when I, I'm thinking that, I'm like, oh, my goodness, it firm, sounds. Firm, fair, and consistent. The, the three, three promises that we're going to be promising, we're going to be firm, fair, and consistent. But God also promises to be firm, fair, and consistent. Yeah. <laughs> So he promises bad. his land, seed, and blessing, which is the covenant promises that were bestowed to Abraham um, and all of Abraham's mm-hmm. descendants. So, and you know, even though they've they've gone through a time of immense trial and difficulty, um, they which, really are why, blessed. Why were they going through immense trial and well, difficulty? Well, sure. I mean, they were they they were going astray. Right. They were and not so God disciplines God. his children, right? Just like yeah. in Hebrews, um, I think it's 13. I think so. Hebrews 13, where he says, um, if you are not being disciplined, then you're just... You're not a legitimate you're son. You're not a then. legitimate <laughs> son, yeah. So I'm I'm, pro- I'm paraphrasing that one. I about said prophesying that one. That would have been bad. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we'd have been, been... I'm the next Get out of here. More. Um, so uh, <laughs> bye-bye, Scott. Bye-bye, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think that's in Hebrews 13 where he says, I discipline my 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 own. And um, if you are not being disciplined, then you were just... But um, yeah, so Israel was being disciplined for worshiping false idols and um, falling into idolatry, being a rebellious nation. Um, they were basically being adulteresses to... Their husband, right? Their their main, their God. Mm-hmm. Um, like in, in Hosea, where he starts to sell them, they're, they're in adultery, right? Um, so I think that's important that we understand why Israel was going through what they were going through and now why God is bringing them out, um, just like he brought them out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this is all a part of God's plan, part of God's glory. Um, and it all leads to Christ. Yeah. As you can see, um, this is actually during, um, what's that guy? It starts with a Z. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, so son is, of Shealtiel. Is, is that how you say it? Zerubbabel. Yeah. I always yeah. say Zerubbabel. Oh, really? <laughs> Zerubbabel. Yeah. Zerubbabel. Uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting character. Right. He... Um, um, Go he's ahead. he's listed in the uh, genealogy of Jesus in Luke Math and Matthew. In Matthew, oh yeah, that's right. He's 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 a Jeconiah. Uh, yeah. He which is this is important. So, <laughs> Jeconiah was under a curse. If you guys remember this, mm-hmm. um, it's I think it's in verse it's chapter twenty two verse fourteen. Um, I might be wrong. Let's see if I'm right. Because I'm terrible at this now. I'm like off. Let's see. I'll, I'll go here from the... I've got the Luke genealogy here. Jesus, when he began his ministry, this is uh, Luke 3, starting in 23. He was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Semein, son of Josech, the son of Joda, the son of jo- Joannan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. The Zerubbabel is named in, in Ezra here as one of the people that was key in rebuilding the, yeah, he uh, actually, the temple. He actually laid the, the foundation of the temple. 
Oh, yeah. He was responsible for laying the foundation of the temple where God would dwell. And like, and are you going to bring it home? You can if you want. No, you can. You, you sure? It was your idea. Okay. <laughs> you discovered it. Well, I, I thought it was it was really fascinating that that the that the man who laid the foundation for the temple here in Ezra is a, a forefather to Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of our faith, and is the fulfillment of the temple. So he's the the greatest and final sacrifice necessary for our forgiveness. And um, it's great. I love finding those. You talk about them as like scarlet threads that that trace from the old testament into the new testament and are all wrapped around jesus christ so it's uh i think that's one important reason that we look at ezra because it's nice to see those stories of the people that are in jesus lineage um and i think zerubbabel he's a good one you wouldn't believe this but i don't i usually don't jeremiah 22 24 <laughs> so oh boy um so Jehoiakim, as you, it's in Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, whatever. Jehoiakim. Um, I can't Jeconiah, pronounce. Um, his presence is in the genealogy is interesting, and it, it's part of a dilemma. That's actually the curse um, on Jeconiah. Um, it forbid him of any of his descendants would from the throne of David forever. Right. So in twenty four, as I live, declared declares the Lord, even though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet um, ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off, and I will give you over into the hands of those who are seeking your life. Yes, into the hands of those whom you dread, even into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar's king of Babylon, and onto the hand of the Chaldeans, I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into a other country where you were not born, and there you will die. But as for the land in which you desire to return, they will not return to it. Um, it's, it's basically deny, it's a curse on Jeconiah um, and all his descendants, which um, Zerubbabel, Babel, Zerubbabel right, is uh he's actually Shealtiel. She, she, Man, I hate that word sucks. Um Shealtiel Zerubbabel's dad. Yeah, and he's supposed to be um the offspring of Padiah. Um mm-hmm. brother elsewhere in the Old Testament Zerubbabel is always called the son of Sheatol. Um yeah. you can find this in Haggai 1, Ezra 3 2. Um possibly Shiaitl adopted his nephew, um, oh. Zerubbabel, um, is the last character in Matthew's list who appears in the Old Testament genealogies. Hmm. Um, Interesting. So he he would he was an adopted son. Yeah, he was actually an adopted son. Wow, I didn't know that. Is that hey. is that MacArthur? Yeah, that was MacArthur. Thanks, Johnny Mac. Thanks, Johnny Mac. Shout out to Johnny. Yeah, Mac. I knew I knew I was I was like it's in twenty two where the curse of Jeconiah comes from. Um, and this is kind of why the adoption process had to come from Christ, because Christ could not be born of man, right? Mm-hmm. But he had to be born of born yeah. into the world as human yeah. flesh. So Jeconiah's curse was to prevent Joseph hmm. 
diluting the wow right so the holy mm. spirit had to inseminate and then he put adoption into jesus own family tree exactly in whom but, we were adopted exactly but in the in the adoption process in um so jeconiah so none of his descendants could ever sit on the throne of david right which his descendant right. line was joseph right that was the bloodline of joseph um so he could not so we can't have a cursed guy we couldn't have a cursed guy um, so Jesus could not flow through Joseph, right? But he had to inherit Joseph's kingly line in order to gain... From David. Right, in order to gain from David. He had to get the inheritance from, but he had David's bloodline through Mary, right? Um, so the inheritance came through adoption, which back in, in uh, their, their time period, um, adoption... So if you were adopted, you automatically were adopted to first son, right? Mm. You actually inherited everything. Really? I didn't yes. know that. So the huh. adoption process, you actually move forward in rank, even if there were prior children involved. The adoption, actually, you went to first in line. So Jesus actually came. You could to, even adopt a slave into right. that role. And uh, your your adopted line actually moved to the front of the line and actually inherited from both parties. So they that that was the neat adoption process in the genealogies in Matthew and Luke. Um, that's the differences in there that you can see. Um, so and Matthew's genealogy is the only one that actually includes women. Yeah. So right. that's pretty cool too. Um, so back to Ezra. Uh, since we got through that, which Zerubbabel. Um, but I think, I think Ezra is a very important book that we read and understand um, what's going on in this time period, who's involved, and why is this happening, and what other books correlate with mm -hmm. what's going on right now. Because right. these, these books, aren't, they don't exist in a vacuum. Right. They're all, it's telling one grand story, so they all fit in. Right. Usually they fit in with each other as well as the New Testament, too. And if, and if you're, you're struggling to figure that out, I mean— Books, prophets, um, the books of the prophets, they, they correlate mm -hmm. with each other. Very important. Um, they go hand in hand. All right, Anyways. Scott, where can they find us? So where can you find us? So we're Guys With Bibles, and you can find us on our Facebook at Guys With Bibles. Just type it up in the search bar. Um, we're also on Instagram. Um, it's Guys With Bibles. Um, locate us there. Um, we, we post stuff periodically. We're not regularly. We're not like, on the gram not, all the time. We, we have full-time jobs. Um, <laughs> then you can also hit, send us an email at guyswbibles at gmail.com. Also, we have a website. It's guyswithbibles, www.guyswithbibles.com. So, and that's where they post blog posts, and um, Sean and Lee are very active on there. Um, they're very diligent at posting. Um, just read their blogs; they're great. Um, just dairy, and please daily check out the podcast on on iTunes. Uh, you Google talking Play. over me? Yeah, I did. Wait down. <laughs> <laughs> iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, basically any of your podcatcher apps. Uh, you can also uh, stream the audio of the show on the website as well. If you're not into downloading podcasts, which I don't know why you wouldn't be, but I know there are some people who aren't. So Right. And that's the purple icon on your iPhone. Yes. With the yes. little eye and dot. And it says 
podcast. It says podcast under it. I had to teach my grandma how to use it. Podcasts are wonderful. They're free and uh, and they update constantly. It's like radio on your phone that doesn't pull It's away. like radio shows on demand. Yeah, you can replay them over and over again, rewind, all that good stuff. I love podcasts. And we're guys with Bibles, and we're out. <laughs>